Good morning. I, I always love child dedication and watching Corey try to like handle the babies and stuff, and then they're like, ah, you know, like, but you know they're like full of life and full of joy. Um, today is a great day. You know, maybe the weather is not so not so great, um, but it's wonderful, I think, to see the young parents up here committing to raising their children in the Lord. And what it says to me when I think about it is that they want to put their child in places, in places where they can have an encounter with the living Christ. And they seek to do that over and over in the course of their lives. That their son and daughter, as they grow older, they will develop a love and a devotion for Jesus. So I think it's great. You know, this morning we're going to look at a passage. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I think describes such an encounter. An encounter, a woman's, a woman's encounter with the Lord that transforms her life. And in the process, God teaches us about the all-important topic of worship. So today's message is entitled, Free to Abandon Yourself in Worship. Free to abandon yourself in worship. And my prayer today is that you and I will put ourselves in places, not just here in the sanctuary, but on a regular basis. We will put ourselves in places where we encounter the living Christ and we learn to give ourselves in worship. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 26. So it's a, long, it's a long passage. Maybe you just, you don't have to read everything on every slide, but maybe just um, hear the story. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came down, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. 
Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just open your word up to us, Lord. Help us to um, try and capture what you want for us from this passage. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move among us and you would speak to our hearts this morning. We lift all of these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning of the passage, we see that Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee, which took him through the region of Samaria. Now, if we look at a map, and I want to show a map, guys. <laughs> Okay, okay. So we see that going from, so the, Jesus is down here. Hopefully you can see this green dot. Je, Jesus is down here in Judea, and he wants to get to Galilee, right? And so the quickest way, the most direct route, of course, is straight up north, right? And it's going through this area of Samaria. But typically, when Jews traveled north, they didn't, from Jerusalem or Judea, they didn't go straight up. They made this outer circle, and they went around. And so typically, they went around, and they wanted to avoid Samaria and avoid the Samaritans. Okay, but Jesus instead, he goes straight through, and you see Sychar right here, where the well of Jacob is. This is kind of like driving from L.A. to San Francisco and choosing to take, like, Highway 395, Right, you know Highway 395, and it's going along the Sierras and Nevada and up through the mountains versus taking the five, right? Just straight up, a straight shot. You know, maybe because you want to avoid, I don't know, like the Central Valley or, or the cows or, you know, the stuff there, right? So this is, what, this is what the Jews did. They took the route a roundabout way. The Jews and the Samaritans, they had a long history of racial animosity. Mostly it was from the Jews to the Samaritans. And that's why it says the Jews did not associate with them. To the Jews, the Samaritans were considered half-breeds. Right? They were half-Jew, half-Gentile. When Samaria fell hundreds of years before, about 700 years before this, the people that remained in the area, they intermarried with the pagan people. And the Jews found this despicable, that they would intermarry, especially with unbelieving Gentiles. Yet Jesus, on this day or on this trip, 
he chose to travel directly through Samaria. As he does, he sits down by the well at midday, and it just so happens that a Samaritan woman comes by to draw water, and he starts talking to her. Right? Of course, she's surprised that he, being a, a Jewish man, would talk to her at all. Not only that, men didn't usually speak directly or address women directly in public. So after kind of getting through these cultural differences and cultural hurdles, they have this interesting conversation about living water, about the woman's past, and about worship. And from this, I think God teaches us three important things about worship. And I think he even reveals some things that keep us from worshiping. The first is that worship is relational. Worship is relational. You know, we've been told that Christianity is not a religion, it's a, a relationship, right? We worship because we have a personal relationship with our God. As we see in this passage, the woman initially, she doesn't know who Jesus is, right? She has no idea who she's talking to. And so she deals with him on a very surfacey level, a very guarded level. And in many ways, this is understandable. You know, when you meet someone new, right, you don't just offer or divulge yourselves to them if you don't know them or you can't trust them or you're not sure, right, especially in this day and age. We want to stay safe. We want our kids to stay safe. I watched a show on Netflix um, recently about a Notre Dame football player. His name was Manti Teo, right? And this was big news about, the story goes back about eight or nine years, right? He was an all-star, all-American linebacker for Notre Dame. But he was in a serious online relationship with a girl he had never met. All of this, their communication was by by phone or by chat, uh, never even live video. And so this went on for a couple of years. A couple, a couple of years, he had never met her, and as it turned out, she didn't exist. She had been completely fabricated by somebody else. Right? He was catfished, they call it. Jesus says in verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. While the Samaritans had a belief in God, their understanding was lacking. The woman's understanding was lacking. So true worship was not possible until she encountered Jesus. Then worship and devotion became real. It really meant something. You know, other religions, other belief systems, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, they're man-centered. And what I mean by that is that they're based on man achieving a higher existence or a state of being by his own efforts. Right? Do these things. Follow these rules. And in those cases, worship, it just becomes a ritual, right? Or a practice or a habit. That's not Christianity. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? 
Do you know the Lord? You know, we don't worship an unknown, nebulous being. When we come and we worship and we lift our praises and our prayers and we sing to him, it's not, it's not a God who's unknown to us. It shouldn't be. It's not theoretical, it's not intellectual or just academic. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. There's an intimacy in relationship with our Lord. Our worship is limited when it's not based on a relationship with God. But when it is, it's free to grow. It's free to blossom and to expand. You know, I will say that the Holy Spirit works. He works in worship to move us so that we can have that encounter. But we must seek a relationship with him. Worship, my friends, is relational. The second is that worship is responsive. Several weeks ago, Pastor Corey, he talked about how giving is a response to God. This is along the same lines. Right? We worship because we know who God is and what he's done for us. And our response is praise and gratitude. When Jesus talks to the woman about living water here, she's, she's clueless. Right? He brings up living water. She's, she doesn't know what he's referring to. She takes him very, very literally. He's offering her the gift of eternal life through the promised Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the Spirit. But what's, what's her response, right, when we think about the story? Her response is, she says, give me this water. Yeah, give me this water so that I won't have to be, keep coming back to this darn well. She doesn't use those words, right? <laughs> but Jesus is addressing her need for eternal life and living water, and she's thinking, how can I avoid thirst and work? Do we understand what God has done for us? and what he's offering. Psalm 66.5 says, Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. You know, I don't know about you, but as I get older, uh, there may be only a, a handful of things that like, I think really stir me. You know, they get my heart, my emotions, um, my inner person, my soul going. My wife and my kids can do that. Sometimes not in a good way. <laughs> but they can pull on my heartstrings and make me look deep within. Sometimes a good book, a good story does that, right? It yanks on your heart and you identify with it or it resonates with you. Certainly, Scripture can do that for me. There are times when I sense God's Word penetrating my heart. 
And like Hebrews 4 says, God's word penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Several days ago when USC beat UCLA in basketball, that was moving to me. <laughs> Almost brought ears, tears to my eyes. <laughs> right, Didi? <laughs> but you know what else does that? Worship. Worship does that. Sensing God's presence, recognizing who he is and what he's done. It does that for me. When we truly recognize what God has done, sometimes I don't know how we stay standing. It feels like we should fall on our knees in worship, in praise, in thanksgiving. You know, Amanda, uh, our worship director, she shared in this past week's church e email and newsletter. I don't know if you got the opportunity to read it or if you receive our church email. Uh, make sure you, you do. Um, and please read it if you haven't already. She uses the word, when she shares about worship, she uses the word posture. Posture, right? I love that. Because worship is a posture of life. Worship is not just music or song or dance. It's a way of life. It's our stance in life that we will honor and glorify God by obeying him, by submitting, by serving, by repenting, and by proclaiming his greatness. These are all forms of worship. We take this posture because we know who God is, we know what he's done, and what he's doing. Worship is responsive. You know, I've been talking about an encounter with the Lord. And just to be clear, I don't mean that you have to have a vision of Jesus, you know, some miraculous vision, or you need to hear an audible voice. God can reveal himself to us in many ways, and often it's spirit to spirit. It's heart to heart. We don't see it, but we can feel it. And there are times when you may, be, you may sense when God is moving on you, his spirit is work in you, or Christ's presence is with you. And when that happens, I say lean into it. You lean into it, and maybe you ask, God, what do you want? The good news is that God is the one orchestrating the encounter. He is the pursuer. Remember, Jesus chose, he chose to go through Samaria. He didn't take the normal roundabout way. Then he stopped at the well of Jacob at a time when no one was expected. Right? Midday was not prime time to go to the well. It was early in the morning. Midday would be hot, would be ti more tiring. But he went to the well, expecting probably only that the Samaritan woman would be there. This was not a chance encounter. Jesus sought her out, and God pursues us as well. So worship is relational. Worship is 
responsive. And lastly, worship is release. Worship is release. When Jesus asked the woman about her husband, she says, I have no husband. And he says, I know you don't. You've had five husbands. And the man you're currently with is not your husband. This woman has a sordid past, which she's trying to hide. In fact, she's trying to avoid anyone, right, who might know her. That's why she comes to the well at midday. Her sin has imprisoned her. Her past has held her down. But Jesus knows all this, and yet he deals with her in love, and he releases her to worship. In verses 21 through 24, we're not going to go over this in detail, but Jesus teaches that worship is not confined to a specific place. Not on this mountain, the Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans used to worship, not necessarily in Jerusalem. It's not confined to a specific place, nor is it just for Jews or Samaritans. Worship is to be done in the power of the Spirit and in the truth of God's Word. God has set us free. When Jesus comes in, we're no longer slaves to sin or slaves to Satan or slaves to our past. Right? God releases us. Jesus releases us. When we give ourselves in worship to the one true God, I believe there is a release that takes place in us. But there's also a release, a release in the spiritual realm. It is not just us and, and just what I feel, but God is at work in the spiritual realm. And I believe worship can tear down strongholds in our lives. It can tear down things that have held us bondage. It could be fears. It could be sins. It could be insecurities. It's the principle of binding and loosing from Matthew 16. And Matthew 16, 19 says that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And God is at work through our worship. You know, by his death on the cross, Jesus has freed us from the guilt of our sins. And yet I know many of us, we walk, we walk around with chains on. We are shackled by our past. God sees us as we truly are. Jesus saw the woman as she truly was, and yet he calls us to come and to approach the throne of grace. God is a God of liberation. God is a God of freedom. And the passage captures that. That Jesus reveals that, when Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah in verse 26, the Samaritan woman cannot contain herself. And maybe you have to look at the passage, you know, deeply or read on, but you see this if you study the passage. She can't contain herself. In verse 28, which we didn't read, it says that she left her water jar, went back to town, and told the people about Jesus. And many came to know the Lord that day. This is a woman just an hour before was shamefully hiding 
right, and avoiding everyone in town trying to go to the well under the radar. Worship is relational. Worship is responsive. Worship is release. Because of this encounter with Jesus, the Samaritan woman has been transformed forever, and she has been set free to worship. And so can we. She experiences release from her past, her inhibitions, her feelings about who she is, her worth, her value, about, and about God's love for her. And she gives herself in praise to him. I think God gives her to us as a model. It's a model for us to grow in our relationship and our understanding of the Lord, to seek him, draw near to him, and to offer ourselves in worship to him. Beloved, growing in worship is a process. I encourage you to take the next step. We worship because of who God is. He is worth it. He is trustworthy. He is great. He is holy. He is worth it. Put yourselves in places where you can encounter the living God. Make worship the posture of your life. And as a practice, maybe begin each day with praise on your lips. Right? Like Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? Start with that. Don't start with what you need or what you want. Start with praise for who God is and what he's done. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this, um, this passage of Scripture, Lord. Your wisdom, oh, it's so great, Lord, that you would give us this example, a real example, Lord, of a woman going through a process of learning about who you are, how great you are, Lord, and then freeing her to worship. I pray that we would follow that same path, Lord, that you would just free us to abandon ourselves in worship, to give you all praise and glory and honor because you are worth it. We lift up all of these things to you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.